Welcome to the ugly truth. Step one, train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps on the phones that they use. Step four, separate the right from the left. Step five, separate the white from the black. Step six, separate the rich from the poor. Use religion and equality to separate them more. Step seven, fabricate a problem made a lie. Step eight, put it on the news every night. Step nine, when people start to fight and divide, take control. This is called situational design they can't stop us cause we're ready to fight trying to brainwash us but we won't let freedom die the whole world's brainwashed everybody pick a team start a riot in the streets the whole world's brainwashed it's us against them and ain't you against me we're with you tom we will not back down this is the ugly truth hard to listen to but impossible to ignore. All right. So the ugly truth tonight is titled the ugly truth of Palestine. And what we're going to look at is where that came from in the first place. So let me just get started. The Hamas militant group's coordinated terror attack on Israel on October 7th was the deadliest assault in the region in decades and prompted Israel to declare war. Understanding the history of the land helps us decide who we should support in this conflict, if any. The Jewish people, let's just go way back. The Jewish people have lived in the land since 1700 BC when Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, patriarchs of the Jewish people and bearers of a belief in one God, settled in the land of Israel. Famine forces the Israelites to migrate to Egypt. And then after the exodus out of Egypt in and around 1300 BC, the Israelites settle in the land of Israel. The first commonwealth of Israel was established under King David in approximately 1000 BC. The Jews were then driven out by the Babylonians in 586 BC and returned to establish the Second Commonwealth in 538 BC. Alexander the Great invaded in 332 BC, beginning the Roman rule in Jerusalem. This is when the land of Israel was dubbed Palestine, which is defined as invader. It was a snub to the prosperous Israel in an attempt to erase the name from all antiquity. So, I found this PragerU video um, and she gives us a really good explanation as who the indigenous people of this land are. So let's go ahead and listen to her. When we think about indigenous people, we think about their deep roots and long-standing connections to the land they inhabit, often spanning centuries or even millennia. For example, the Chinese from China, the Egyptians are from Egypt, and the Indians are from India. But what about the Jews? Well, the Jews are from Judea, the modern-day land of Israel, where Jewish heritage stretches back over 3,000 years. And like other indigenous people, the connection to the Jewish homeland is an integral part of the Jewish identity. Judaism is not just a religion, but the Jews are also a people with strong ties to the place from which they originated, the ancient land of Israel. 
The practice of Judaism is directly connected to that land. It celebrates holidays like the harvest time and has prayers that are tied to the seasons in the land of Israel. Seven crop species, including olives, grapes, wheat, and barley, are cherished in Jewish symbolism because they represent Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey. For centuries, Jews have been saying L'Shanah Ba'ab Yerushalayim, or next year in Jerusalem, never forgetting their connection to the land of Israel. But don't just take my word for it. Historians and archaeologists also point to artifacts and historical writings that prove the connection between the land of Israel and the Jewish people. Hebrew inscriptions have been found on thousands of artifacts dating as far back as the 6th century BC. Hebrew is my mother's tongue. I can read these thousands of years old artifacts. In addition to Jewish sources, an Egyptian document dating to approximately 1200 BC mentions a campaign in which an Egyptian ruler says that he has defeated Israel. Israel is no more, the document reads. Probably the worst prophecy ever made about the Jews since, you know, I'm still here. The Hebrew Bible is, of course, more than just a history book, but there's a lot of verified history in it. The fact that Jerusalem is mentioned 669 times in its pages confirms that the city is central to the Jewish identity. Politically, the land of Israel swapped hands for thousands of years, but it was never anything other than a sovereign Jewish state. Let me say that again. The only sovereign state that ever existed in the land of Israel forever is a Jewish state. The Jewish people have formed three nation states in the land of Israel throughout history. The first was the first commonwealth ruled by the House of David, and it lasted for more than four centuries. Israel was united by King David, and Jerusalem was the capital of that Jewish state. The first temple, built by King Solomon, was a huge source of Jewish pride. Then the Babylonians conquered the land, exiling most of the Jewish residents to Babylon. In 539 BC, Persia's King Cyrus conquered Babylon and issued the Cyrus Decree, allowing the Jews to return to Israel, and many did. They rebuilt the country, including the Second Temple in Jerusalem, on the site of the destroyed First Temple. Its western wall is still standing, and today it is the holiest site of the Jewish people. The Second Jewish State is often referred to as the Second Commonwealth, later called the Kingdom of Judea, born from the Maccabean Revolt against the Greeks. Hello, Hanukkah. It was a time of independence, but it didn't last. In 70 AD, the Romans conquered Jerusalem and burned down the temple, exiling most of the Jewish population and giving the land a new name, Palestina, in order to disconnect the relationship between the Jewish people and their homeland. After the destruction of the Second Temple, the land of Israel changed hands many times, from the Romans, the Byzantines, the Caliphate, the Crusaders, the Mamluks, the Ottomans, and the British Empire. But it wasn't until the 19th century that the Jewish people's longing to return to their homeland became an existential need because of the rise of murderous anti-Semitism. A movement was born, Zionism, the Jewish people's right to have a state again. Zion, by the way, is just another name for Jerusalem. It's mentioned in the Bible over a hundred times. Zionism is a movement for Jewish self-determination in their ancestral land in a Jewish, not an exclusively Jewish state. Initially, locals welcomed new Jewish immigrants like my great-grandparents who brought prosperity to the land with new cities and agricultural villages called kibbutzim. The people they encountered there included the community of Jews who had never left Israel, known as the Old Yeshuv. 
The Israeli Declaration of Independence ensures equality of social and political rights to all its citizens, regardless of religion, race, or sex, guaranteeing freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture, and pledging to safeguard the holy places of all religions, which is what Israel does. Israel doesn't deny anyone else's identity. Of course, there have always been people of non-Jewish identity in the land, including modern Arab Palestinians, who also have ties to the place the Jews celebrate as the land of Israel and the Christians call the Holy Land. But if you support indigenous people's rights, you should also be a Zionist and understand that the Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel who never really left. I'm Noah Tishby, author of Israel, A Simple Guide to the Most Misunderstood Country on Earth for Prager University. So she had some pretty interesting points there. Foreigners occupied the land for, from the time Rome fell in 313 AD until Britain mandates were dropped and the land was designated as Israel once again in 1947. Before the land was handed off to the Jews by Britain, the land was underpopulated. According to one census account, there were only 379,000 people there in 1914, and it was significantly lower significantly lower, about 50% in the 1880s. So I ran across an interview from Amir Safari on Happening Now, and he gave us some really good insight into the current state that's going on right now. He's a Middle East news correspondent commentator and a Jesus-following Jew. He brings insight into the events on October 7th this year, as well as historical and biblical insight. Here, he discusses the fact that he has, there has never been an established state of Palestine. Never in the history of planet Earth, there was a nation of Palestinians and a country of the Palestinians. Never, never. These Arabs are a collection of Arabs from different countries all around that predominantly most of them moved into Israel, which was called Palestine, regardless of them. I mean, the name Palestine started in 135 AD by Adrian the Caesar, who wanted to mock the Jews for rebelling against him and named the land after the Philistines, their Old Testament foes. That has nothing to do with Arabs. And, and the funny thing is the Philistines got their name from the word invader. So anyone who claimed to be a Palestinian by default, actually, um, it, it confesses to be an invader. But the funny thing is that most of the Arabs came as a result of the return of the Jews to the land. That's right. And go back to the 1984 book that was written by Joan Peters, and it's called From Time Immemorial. She's a CBS, was, she passed away not long ago. CBS producer of documentaries, she was sent by the Carter administration yes. to write a book about the rights of the Palestinians over the land. Jimmy Carter was a great advocate of the Palestinians. And it's interesting because when she started digging into um, all the archives of the, of the Ottoman Empire, the UN, and the British Mandate, she was shocked to find out that most of the, the land was underpopulated in the mid-1800s, most of those Arabs came 
as a result of the Jewish return, when the Jews brought in, 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 a lot of wealth and industry and agriculture, and those Arabs saw good future, and they moved in. So everyone that says, we were there first, it was our land first, that's nonsense. It's nonsense because it's not even based on facts. And again, when we talk about give them back, there is no give them back. They never had it to begin with. The land was occupied ever since the Jews were expelled. The land was occupied by foreigners, by the Romans and the Byzantines, yes. and then the early Muslims, and then came the, the, the Crusaders and the late Muslims. Yes. And came, then, of course, the Ottoman Empire for 500 years, and eventually the British Mandate that started in the early 1920s. And the mandate that was given to Britain was that the, the that Palestine would be a place where the Balfour Declaration be fulfilled. And the Balfour Declaration was the promise of the British Empire for a Jewish homeland. And it's interesting because in the at the moment when the mandate was given, Palestine was actually Jordan and Israel of today. Mm -hmm. So people don't know that. And it's interesting because none of them comes to the Jordanian and says, hey, that's Palestine as well. It's Funny because Jordan controlled the West Bank until 1967 and no one asked them for a state for the Palestinians. Egypt controlled Gaza until 1967 and no one asked them for a Palestinian state. In fact, when we fought against Egypt and then signed peace with them in 1979, the Egyptians said, give us Sinai back, but please keep Gaza to yourself. Yeah. We do not want that one Isn't back. Isn't that something? Listen. That's what we have right now. People don't know that history. And uh, we have to admit that uh, lies and deceptions are all over, all around. And uh, we have to fight it, and fighting it by knowledge and by education. And the Bible is, I think, the best source of education. Because if you go to the book of Nehemiah, to chapter 2, you see that one of those who mocked Nehemiah for yeah. returning back to Jerusalem was Geshem the Arab. And Nehemiah himself said, you will never understand why I'm back in the land and why I'm back in Jerusalem. Because you have no heritage, you have no memorial, you have no, nothing in Jerusalem. You don't know Jerusalem, you don't, it means nothing to you. Because you, that's, not, not, that's not yours. Yeah. So you will never understand why I have to go all the way back here and rebuild the city and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. So... Even the Bible tells us that the Arabs had no heritage and no memorial, nothing regarding Jerusalem yeah. or the rest of the country. But again, the world always prefers to believe the lie. And uh, we see that even today. Mm -hmm. Look, even today, 1,400 people were massacred and people around the world still believe the lie that it never happened. He's got such a good point there. And um, he goes on to discuss with Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel in California to discuss the history of the land called Israel and its inhabitants over the last three centuries. So let's watch that one now. Amir mentioned the word, uh, two words. He, he mentioned the word deception and he mentioned the word lies. And I'm gonna, sh I want all of you guys to see this. Guys, we're gonna go to slide number four. I want you to see a lie that your university student believes. And I want to unpack this for you quickly and then give Amir the opportunity to speak to this. Now, this is how the world 
Listen carefully. This is how the world views this current issue today. Notice the top, Palestinian loss of land, 1947 to present. That's what your kids are learning in school. That's what the UN sees. This is what many in the United States government sees. This is what many in the West see in other parts of the world. This is how they recognize it. You have friends, neighbors, family, co-workers. This is their view on the left side. This is their view. Now watch this. On the left side, Amir said it. I hope you caught it. None of that was, quote, green until 135 AD by the Emperor Hadrian, Roman Emperor. Stop right there. From the creation of time itself, all the way through, God had called this land the promised land. That it would be a land that would be eventually Abraham's land, but it eventually, the scripture says, it would be Israel. And there's a very, very direct, I'll show it to you in a moment, a very key layout of the land of promise. Okay? But from 135 AD, when Hadrian, the pagan Roman, said, I want to shame the Israelis, I want to destroy Jerusalem, so let's do this. Let's no longer call Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but Capitolina, and let's no longer call Israel, Israel, let's call it Palestine, or uh, root is Philistia, the land of the Philistines, the land of the invaders, which is today spoken, you can say, Palestine, but it comes out of Rome, friends. But from the, from the unbelieving world view, to them, Israel has done nothing but eat up land. You see, the occupier to them has been advancing. That the occupier tonight is the one retaliating against those who attacked Israel. Are you tracking me? Because they view what Israel's doing as a great injustice. Why? They don't believe Israel should have been in the first place. Listen, if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, then you would agree with them. This comes down not to geopolitical issues. This comes down to spiritual issues. Did God promise Abraham the land? You only know that from the Bible. You also only know this from the Bible. There is no word Palestine in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's not there. But Israel is in there nearly 700 times. Okay, are you listening? You can go back as far back as time can go and you'll find the name Israel in the scriptures. Amir mentioned Nehemiah. That's about two 1,500 years ago, okay? What was Nehemiah talking about? What did King Artaxerxes say to Nehemiah for him to go back and rebuild? Go back to Jerusalem, go back to Israel. Friends, the, the pagan ancient world called Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and they called Israel, Israel. No one ever called it Palestine. It was Hadrian who said, those Jews make me sick, I want to erase their memory of their land and of their heritage, so let's rename it. Let's punish them by renaming them. That name has stuck to people who do not believe in the God of the Bible. I hope this is making some sense. So what you see now to the far right is Israel present, and look how they put it. The white area now is Israeli-occupied land. And you look at that, and you're a, you're a, a 
student at, at Harvard and you're going, oh man, I see the injustice now. Lies and doctrines of demons. Why? Because if Israel doesn't exist, then where's Christ returning to? If there's no Jerusalem, then where is Christ going to establish his throne? Are you getting my drift? These are spiritual issues. And then real quick, I want to show you, uh, put, up, uh, put up number two, Jack, guys. Yeah. Can I show you uh, this, this slide that you just uh, showed? Look, this is the real deal. See, look at the screen right now. Okay, that's the fake and that's the real. The real is that there was a British mandate. Yeah. We offered them. There was an offer for them. They said no. Then 1967, then you see the rest. There was never a point where there was a Palestinian state, never a point where they owned the land, never a point where we took it from them. If anything, we offered them a state, and they said, no, thank you. They said, we don't want to live next to you. We want to live instead of you. That's, that's the thing that we have right now. And so, in fact, what we have now, they have more than they need to. Um, and... Well, That's, you know, again, the, the, the fake is fake and the real is real. It's always, you always teach history from where it's convenient to you. And, and, and for them, it's convenient only from 1948. They don't want to talk about what happened before. They don't want to talk yeah. about the fact that actually they never had anything. And just a short reminder, we often now, since October 7th, call them Nazi Hamas. The leader of the Palestinians met with Adolf Hitler and had a pact with Hitler that once they destroyed the Jewish people, uh, the Palestinians will get the land and Hitler promised them that it will happen. So they collaborated with Hitler then and they are now mimicking the Nazi uh, uh, actions even today. Yep, absolutely. You guys, real quick, slide number two. Slide number two, this is the land, when God spoke to Abraham and, and told Abraham the parameters of the land, this is what it's going to be when Jesus comes back. You, yeah, take a picture of that. When Christ returns and sits upon his throne, the kingdom will be established and the promised land of Israel will be fulfilled. It was really, uh, it, was, it was its largest under Solomon, but it was never fully realized. Friends, listen, the God of the Bible is either true or false. He's either uh, honest or he's not. When he says, this is the parameters, this is the land that is promised, those parameters will be accomplished when Christ Jesus returns. You can, you can bet your eternal life on that. And so just, just remember that. Uh, the next slide is number three, which shows it in just more modern type colors. Take a look at that. Israel's not going to go away. Now, granted, Israel does have a tribulation period that's coming that is going to be horrific and the Jews will suffer during the tribulation period like, like they've never suffered before. That's hard to believe, but it's, that's what the Bible says. But when Christ returns, this is going to be God's kingdom. Christ sits on the throne in the millennial age, the 1,000 year reign of Christ. Um, it very much resembles slide number one. If you look at the tribes of Israel uh, from the book of Joshua, chapters 13 to 19, 
you can kind of see, uh, you know, a little bit more, even though you see Simeon goes way down in, into the south. I just want you to visually see that. But just know this, that what you're seeing on the news today, people are screaming and yelling and tipping and burning cars and beating people up. And, um, and who knows what right now, maybe even worse things, uh, because of the Palestinian issue they're saying. Wait, is it the Palestinian issue you're concerned about? Or is it that Hamas is getting their teeth kicked in? What's causing you to become violent? Why are you, why are you doing this in Philadelphia? Poor, how many of you saw the riots in Philadelphia the other day? It was a pro-Palestinian riot. And so a group of LBGTQ went out there with them, with their flag, not knowing that Muslims kill homosexuals. They They didn't stop to do some homework. And they got the snot beat out of them and they ran for their lives. You need to understand that the debate, people will talk about the land. It's not about, tech, I said this a few, a few weeks ago, it's not exactly about Hamas, it's not exactly about Palestinian, it's not exactly about, listen, I said it, it's, it's about the belief in one of two gods that you hold to. That's what it's come down to. And the, battle, the battlefield is, is, is the land of Israel. But I just want to leave this with you. For some of you may be watching and you're struggling with this information. Just pick up a Bible. Because the Bible predates Islam. The Bible predates Muhammad. The Bible predates the Philistines. The Bible is your chief history book. Pick it up. The Bible is your chief history book. Pick it up. I love it. So why isn't there a Palestinian state? If Israel just allowed the Palestinians to have a state of their own, there would be peace in the Middle East, right? That's what you hear from UN ambassadors, European diplomats, and most college professors. But what if I told you that Israel has already offered the Palestinians a state of their own, and not just once, but on five separate occasions? Don't believe me? Let's review the record. After the breakup of the Ottoman Empire following World War I, Britain took control of most of the Middle East, including the area that constitutes modern Israel. Seventeen years later, in 1936, the Arabs rebelled against the British and against their Jewish neighbors. The British formed a task force, the Peel Commission, to study the cause of the rebellion. The commission concluded that the reason for the violence was that two peoples, Jews and Arabs, wanted to govern the same land. The answer, the Peel Commission concluded, would be to create two independent states, one for the Jews and one for the Arabs, a two-state solution. The suggested split was heavily in favor of the Arabs. The British offered them 80% of the disputed territory, the Jews the remaining 20%. Yet, despite the tiny size of their proposed state, the Jews voted to accept this offer but the Arabs rejected it and resumed their violent rebellion. Rejection number one. Ten years later, in 1947, the British asked the United Nations to find a new solution to the continuing tensions. Like the Peel Commission, the UN decided that the best way to resolve the conflict was to divide the land. 
In November 1947, the UN voted to create two states. Again, the Jews accepted the offer, and again, the Arabs rejected it. Only this time, they did so by launching an all-out war. Rejection number two. Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria joined the conflict, but they failed. Israel won the war and got on with the business of building a new nation. Most of the land set aside by the UN for an Arab state, the West Bank and East Jerusalem, became occupied territory, occupied not by Israel, but by Jordan. 20 years later, in 1967, the Arabs, led this time by Egypt and joined by Syria and Jordan, once again sought to destroy the Jewish state. The 1967 conflict, known as the Six-Day War, ended in a stunning victory for Israel. Jerusalem and the West Bank, as well as the area known as the Gaza Strip, fell into Israel's hands. The government split over what to do with this new territory. Half wanted to return the West Bank to Jordan and Gaza to Egypt in exchange for peace. The other half wanted to give it to the region's Arabs, who had begun referring to themselves as the Palestinians in the hope that they would ultimately build their own state there. Neither initiative got very far. A few months later, the Arab League met in Sudan and issued its infamous three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. Again, a two-state solution was dismissed by the Arabs, making this rejection number three. In 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak met at Camp David with Palestinian Liberation Organization Chairman Yasser Arafat to conclude a new two-state plan. Barak offered Arafat a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 94% of the West Bank, with East Jerusalem as its capital. But the Palestinian leader rejected the offer. In the words of U.S. President Bill Clinton, Arafat was here 14 days and said no to everything. Instead, the Palestinians launched a bloody wave of suicide bombings that killed over 1,000 Israelis and maimed thousands more on buses, in wedding halls, and in pizza parlors. Rejection number four. In 2008, Israel tried yet again. Prime Minister Ehud Olmert went even further than Ehud Barak had, expanding the peace offer to include additional land to sweeten the deal. Like his predecessor, the new Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, turned the deal down. Rejection number five. In between these last two Israeli offers, Israel unilaterally left Gaza, giving the Palestinians complete control there. Instead of developing this territory for the good of its citizens, the Palestinians turned Gaza into a terrorist base from which they have fired thousands of rockets into Israel. Each time Israel has agreed to a Palestinian state, the Palestinians have rejected the offer, often violently. So if you're interested in peace in the Middle East, maybe the answer is not to pressure Israel to make yet another offer of a state to the Palestinians. Maybe the answer is to pressure the Palestinians to finally accept the existence of a Jewish state. I'm David Brog, Executive Director of the Maccabee Task Force for Prager University. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, Click here. To help keep our videos free, donate here. So he had a really good point in that the uh, when they took over the area of Jerusalem, that went to Jordan, 
and the Gaza Strip went to Egypt. It never became their own state. And they kept saying no, and they kept saying no. And then when Israel left the Gaza Strip to let them build their own, they totally, they were tired of governing them. So they left and they tried, they said, they'll let them build their own state. And instead they just created a terrorist organization and locked down all the people that were in there. And of course, told the people that are living in Gaza that it's the Israelites who are actually enslaving them in their own state, which is of course, totally wrong. But I'm gonna go back to Amir now. Amir explains that there was an hour delay or why there was an hour delay in the response of Israeli forces. Simply, Hamas jumped the gun. So let's watch that one. Amir, um, would you mind telling uh, people about the, um, that Ham it's, it's Israel's understanding that Hamas jumped the gun? Is, do you understand what I mean by that yes. term, jumped the gun? Yes. You know, six months ago, on April 8th, I published on my Telegram channel um, the information that uh, we received from um, someone who is well, well versed with uh, the corridors of Tehran and Baghdad. And he basically gave us this information. And he said, look, guys, you need to prepare yourself because what Tehran is planning for you and plotting for the last few years, first with General Qasem Soleimani and now with Ismail Kani, these are the leaders of the Al-Quds Force. The Al-Quds Force is the unit in the Iranian Revolutionary Guard that is their mission is to export the Iranian Shiite revolution uh, to the region and create a ring of fire around Israel in order to wait for the day of judgment, they call it, the, yes. the day of battle, where all of the proxies at once will fire thousands of rockets and cause overwhelmed the Iron Dome and any other uh, uh, missile defense systems that we have. And then under that um, umbrella of rockets, they will immediately uh, barge through the uh, walls and the, and the fences with their, um, uh, with their uh, vehicles and uh, motorcycles. They will take over Israeli settlements and military bases. They will take thousands of Israelis hostages. Israel will take a week to even recover from the first strike. And before you know it, Israel might even have to come to an end because these attacks will come from four different corners, uh, four different directions. That is, or that was, the grand plan of the Ayatollahs. And what happened on October 7th, is that uh, Hamas uh, disobeyed uh, and uh, jumped the gun earlier because it saw an opportunity. And you have to understand, no one knew about that day except a few people in. Everyone knew that Hamas is getting ready for this big plan. But Hamas deceived even Iran and Hezbollah That's key. by yes. jumping the gun earlier than, than planned because they wanted to take the glory for themselves. Even their own operatives, their own terrorists, 
when they gathered them at 5 a.m. that Saturday morning, none of them knew that uh, this is it. They thought this is another exercise. Right. And they told them, guys, this morning, it's not an exercise. It's the real deal. And that's it. So it was such a very well-kept uh, secret. And, uh, and uh, Hezbollah was shocked. You know, if Hezbollah knew about it, if the Iranian proxies in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen knew about it, if Tehran knew about it, they would have ordered everyone to, to attack simultaneously. They did not know. They were shocked. And, and Israel, as I said before, we were under the, the understanding that Hamas is not as bad as Hezbollah, so we need to get ready from the northern uh, uh, border for the worst. And even in the first hour of this attack on Saturday morning, the Israeli special forces were actually called up to the north. We thought this is a distraction for the real deal that is about to come from the north. It took us an hour to understand that Hezbollah knew nothing about it and that the uh, proxies in, 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 in the rest of the surroundings in, in Syria and in Iraq and Yemen, they did not know about it. And that's why we immediately rushed all the way down to the border to take care of business there. So, uh, thankfully, I see it as a miracle. Yes. It's a miracle that this whole simultaneous attack did not take place. A. B, from what we found on the ground and from the number of people that infiltrated and the weapons we found and the maps and the instructions and the manuals, they planned on something 10 times bigger, and they yes. planned on being able to keep whatever they took over for weeks. Um, they, they, they had manuals of how to survive and how to um, be able to do that. They were heading towards bigger Israeli cities and bigger Israeli military installations. Yes. The quick response of the Israeli teams managed to stop this massacre closer to the border and managed to stop it at 1400 because let me tell you something the amount of weapon and ammunition and stuff that they brought with them should have killed at least 10,000 people okay so do you feel like we're on the verge of our war for Armageddon according to the signs of Ezekiel war in Ezekiel 38 we aren't there yet pastor Jack and Amir review the chapter and how it pertains to today Amir, this is really good. Everybody needs to let that sink in. Friends, he's, he's talking about the Ezekiel battle of Ezekiel chapter 38, that many of you maybe are new to Christianity and you don't know what, what does he mean? What is he talking about? Libya, what does that have to do with anything? This is not the Ezekiel battle that's happening today. However, we have never been in modern history when I say modern, I shouldn't even have said modern. I don't think ever. Have we ever been this close to the Ezekiel 38 fulfillment? Because something had to happen first in the last days of human history. Israel would have to become a nation again for Ezekiel 38 to happen. Do you understand that, everybody? The Bible says from the prophet Ezekiel 30. Uh, uh, three, uh, say 30, uh, 2,700 years ago that 
in the last days, this war would take place that would be really over, overviewed or, 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 or watched by and supplied by, the Hebrew word is even supplier, by a leader that has a title by the name of Gog, G-O-G. And he's a political and a military leader. He wears both hats. And this particular individual will be the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, the ancient tribal names found in Genesis chapter 10 and what is known as the Table of Nations. And you can find those areas in the world by looking at ancient maps. This one will not be willing to get into the fight. But Persia and Turkey, the Bible says, and Libya, Amiramisan, uh, Ethiopia, who else? Who else? Sudan. Sudan. They will launch an attack on Israel, and the Bible says that God will have to put a hook in the jaw of the leader of Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. All of those are lands in Russia today, and pull him out of the uttermost parts of the north, down into the battle with these other nations, which just happen to be, right now, all Muslim, who have vowed for the destruction and annihilation of Israel and every Jew. None of that could have happened without Israel being a nation. It couldn't have happened before 1948. You see the incredible accuracy of your Bible. It couldn't have happened even before the 1990s because it speaks of Israel being prosperous and safe and secure and with unwalled villages and towns. And, and we were not that prosperous or secured in 1948, 67, 73, <laughs> and 82. So we're definitely, everything is only applicable to the last uh, few years. And yeah. uh, Israel now is wealthy with the, the natural gas that we found. We became, uh, you know, an energy superpower, regional superpower. And, and, this is probably the hook in the jaw of, 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 of Russia to come down towards us. But again, the rest of them will have different uh, things in mind. But again, uh, Pastor Jack, remember that in the same chapter, it's the Saudis that are protesting against this. And it's the Western world that is protesting against it. And therefore... Uh, the only missing link here, the, the only difference, the only thing that makes me believe that we're not there yet mm-hmm. is the fact that, that in the Ezekiel war, Israel will not be assisted by anyone. No way. Whereas right now, we do have American troops on the ground and American carriers off the shore. So, again, right. uh, Damascus has to be destroyed and America has to be somehow uh, yeah. deactivated or something like that. I think that China is not mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Maybe China will take care of America and then the rest will come down towards Israel. I don't know. Look, I, I don't want to start speculations. I know one thing. In my Bible, Damascus will be destroyed and America yeah. will not come to help Israel. Yeah. That, these are the two things I know from the Bible. So, um, is it, it, I think you and I agree on this, it's safe to say that we are in route to the parts being assembled, the stage being propped, set for what could be Ezekiel, maybe, 
We'll see. Yeah. But in the meantime, yeah. in the meantime, are you doing the same thing, Amir? I get up every morning and the first thing I do is 30 seconds of news. 30 seconds, that's all I need. I turn on to find out if Damascus has been struck. Because yeah. if I understand my Bible right and my timetable right, Isaiah 17, 1's got to take place. And what is it? I, uh, Jeremiah 49, I think, yes. maybe. That, that explosion or detonation of Damascus, it says that, that there'll be a, a fire started in the wall of Damascus and it shall be completely consumed and never again inhabited. That's never happened. And so I watch for Damascus and I watch right now um, for, I hate to say this, it pains me to say this, but you said it, how Ezekiel shows us that there's no nation when Ezekiel battle takes place, no nation comes to the aid of Israel. She's all alone, which clearly means either the United States has a completely different political view of Israel by that time, or America is incapable of responding to help, can't do it, or there is no America, or something has got to disable Israel's strongest historical ally, the United States. And yeah. as much as we do not like this administration, at least currently, there's nonstop flights of supplies coming in to assist Israel. Church family, that is going to, when the Ezekiel battle happens, the U.S. will not play a role at all whatsoever, which is of great concern. And thank you for listening to The Ugly Truth, because they can't stop us, because we're ready to fight, trying to brainwash us, but we won't let freedom die, the whole world's brainwashed. The Ugly Truth, hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore.